The History of College Football is a podcast dedicated to preserving the college football gridiron memories from years gone by. Please feel free to visit our website at historyofcollegefootball.com. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to History of College Football. I am Jay Abramson, and I will take you down a gridiron memory lane. The national champions, the teams, the rivalries, the conferences, the Heisman winners, the rankings. Today, we are lucky to have a very special guest, Mr. Jamie Walker, HBCU PSMA member, football play-by-play announcer, color analyst, PA, voiceover, BCSN, ESPN+, SIAC, WNFC, NBA G League, and you can follow him on Twitter at SportVoiceJW. That's at S-P-O-R-T-V-O-I-C-E-J-W. It is indeed an honor to have you on my podcast. First, tell me, Mr. Walker, about your work as a play-by-play announcer. Wow, I guess reading the bio, (laughs) I guess I'm into a whole lot. Um, uh, Actually, you know, Working in play-by-play, um, I, I do a lot involving college football in particular. Uh, I do some high school, some some local stuff as well because um, I'm in the Atlanta metro area, so it's a hotbed for um, high school recruiting going into college, of course. So, um, you know, doing play-by-play for, you know, some local um, entities actually um, helps out with what they do going forward, especially being in the um, – Southeastern Conference footprint and um, Atlantic Coast Conference footprint. So um, along with that, um, I do work for um, a variety of entities doing both play-by-play and color analysts. Um, with ESPN Plus, typically with the um, the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic um, Conference, SIAC, along with um, working with the Black College Sports Network, which could be a variety of conferences within um, the historically Black College and University footprint as well. So a uh, lot of work, but I also work uh, doing play-by-play in color with um, the Women's National Football Conference, which is very interesting, hard-hitting football um, from the women, uh, and and it is a viable um, viable league that I, I tell you what, if you just take you know put your eyes on it for a second, you know you would you would think you know you're you're seeing the men out there going at it as well. So it, it is a uh, it is a great league. Also do some semi-pro um, calling as well, NBA G League as a PA announcer um, in particular. So I kind of do um, a little bit of all, all, of it all when it comes to the voice, um, voice, just sport voice, I guess, um, um, spectrum. I kind of do it all. Matt, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> <laughs> You're a man of many talents. What is your biggest challenge you face as a play-by-play man? In particular, trying to paint the perfect picture. Uh, If you strive to do that, that's what you do um, as a play-by-play voice. What you're trying to do is 
whether it be from radio, because I've done both radio and um, streaming and video. Um, what you're trying to do, you have a, a couple of different challenges. If you're radio, you're really trying to give a visual representation of what's going on the field uh, or, or court. Field primarily for me because basketball is just not my thing as far as doing play-by-play. Uh, but you're, you're trying to paint an accurate picture of what everyone is either listening to or seeing. And I think when it comes to um, thinking about who is actually viewing or listening to what you're saying – you're trying to paint an accurate picture and just not over um, not just giving too much information, letting the imagination flow as well. Uh, it was a bit of advice that I, that I've uh, gotten within the industry that, um, you know, talking too much during um, during the actual game is a challenge that I, that I go into because I want to give an accurate depiction, but at the same time, you want to let the audience um, get what they want to get out of it as well and using their own imaginations of what's going on. Oh, absolutely fascinating. That perspective, trying to paint the perfect picture. I can see that. Now, now, now usually as an announcer, somebody does either play-by-play or a color analyst. You, sir, you do both. Let's turn to your work as a color analyst. The question I have is how is announcing as a color analyst different from that of a play-by-play announcer? This is also a challenge because when you're a color analyst, typically the main voice you hear um, is the play by play um, announcer, which is, you know, down the distance, um, you know, what the play is, formations, things of that nature. As a color analyst, you are typically the expert of what's happening on the field and bouncing information off of what the play by play um, voice is actually putting out there. So the challenge is trying to get that bit of information before the next play starts. That's my biggest challenge and not over talking it as well. Uh, For example, if you're trying to analyze exactly what's going on and you have a, let's say a a fast flowing offense or defense for that matter, but a fast flowing offense that runs plays consecutively, the challenge is trying to get the, the analysis of what just happened before the next play starts. Mm. Again, absolutely phenomenal response. Uh, talk to me a little bit about HBCU football. How do you see the state of HBCU football today? It is a lot going on. Um, of course, HBCU football, um, you know, historically black colleges and universities is what it stands for. And, and so you're dealing with um, a lot of tradition and pageantry within the, the you know, diaspora in, in involving in sport. And so you tr- you're trying to capture – what that is within the sport. It may be a little bit different. Let's say, you know, there are pockets of, of, of football that play a certain way that have a certain, you know, type of swagger, or a, a type of um, culture and HBCUs being one of them. Ivy league, I guess would be um, um, another, you know, league that kind of, you know, plays not necessarily by their own rules, but has their own standards and what they're looking for. So when it comes to, you know, HBCU football, you know, you have your division one, um, um, FCS programs, and then you have, you know, Division Two, and so on. And so when it comes to a lot of the attention that's going on right now, especially when you have um, the likes of in the Division One ranks, a Deion Sanders coming in, along with a Hugh Jackson coming in, um, you know, to Jackson State University and Grambling State University, respectively, you're dealing with a lot of eyes being on the sport, um, probably – at no greater time than maybe 
um, you know, right after segregation or, or the integration of the sport where um, a lot of your major black, you know, football players were going to HBCUs at this time. I would think of another time um, where Steve McNair was was at Alcorn State and garnered a lot of attention. So HBCU football is is viable. It is um, it is hot right now. Uh, it, it's always had its pageantry and always has has had its um, its its you know passionate fans. Um, you know, really great institutions. Um, but right now in the mainstream um, media, it is it is hot. It is one of those things where you have those professional names involved in the sport and you are looking at, you know, more eyes on the product. And some of like are liking what they're seeing. Some have their opinions on, on what they're seeing, which is great. And as far as the state of it is concerned, I think you're having probably the most interest in the sport than you've ever had before um, because of the names being involved in it. I think that HBCUs have always been a viable option for players, but I also think now you're looking at more players just really looking into what these institutions um, do, uh, especially when you're talking about, you know, high, you know, five-star recruits, four-star recruits, actually giving the attention to, you know, smaller programs in general, but HBCUs now, you know, with the Travis Hunter of the world um, going to, you know, Jackson State University and playing for, you know, you know, prime time. And so um, I think, you know, that was a really, really, um, really, really important moment for really HBCU football, but just HBCU sport in general. So I, uh, the, the state of, of HBCU football in particular, I think, is ascending and I'm, I'm loving what I'm seeing, but I think there are greater heights that we have not um, we have not reached yet, but I think it's coming. A very eloquent response to the state of HBCU football. Thank you. So I have to ask you, what's your take on the impact of Notre Dame, Tennessee State? What is it scheduled September 2nd, 2023? Well, I think it's an important uh, matchup because Notre Dame's never played uh, an HBCU opponent, opponent. And I think when you're looking at, um, for example, Eddie George, who's the head coach of Tennessee State, um, coming into, you know, South Bend, Indiana, and, and really going into that stadium and the pageantry of, of what that brings. Anyone that, that is a, a college football fan in general understands the significance of, um, of Notre Dame. And so, you know, bringing, bringing his team into that stadium, I think, is very significant. I, I think – you know, there are some that, that you know, there, there are pros and cons on both sides of it because, you know, the resources that Notre Dame has within their football team is not what Tennessee State has. Um, not that Tennessee State um, does not expect to go in there and win, but, we, you know, being honest about what goes on within what those programs have monetarily, of course, if you look up the numbers, you can see the difference. So, it, I mean, it's, it's out there. So it's just one of those things where it's one of those things where, um, it's important because I think it gives even more exposure to HBCU football. Well, I, I can see that. I, I, I myself am I'm quite excited about that game. Jamie, are you, are you game for a few fun questions? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, sir. Let's start with HBCU football. Who is the best team, best HBMC team in the past decade? Well, of course, you know, uh, 
I'm a um a graduate of North Carolina A&T State University in Greensboro, North Carolina. And so um you know, I guess you could call me a little biased, but not really. Um within this last decade, they have won um three three HBCU national championships, um four celebration bowls. Um they've beaten, you know, their competition, they've beaten FBS opponents, high FCS opponents. So I think in the last decade, they have been the most successful. Um, you know, people know the name Tariq Cohen, who was who graduated from, who came from North Carolina A&T. And um, Brandon Parker of the um, Las Vegas Raiders also um, came from A&T. So in the last decade, I would definitely say North Carolina A&T has been the most successful uh, HBCU program. But I tell you what, um, since switching conferences, they are, are, are going to have to find their footing um, playing out, you know, their last year in the Big South this year and moving on to the uh, Colonial Athletic Association um, going forward, which is a, a you know, a, a really good, um, you know, if, if you look at the rankings and things of that nature, um, a, a, a good league as far as FCS football, not discounting anything um, that, you know, the Big South or the Mid-Eastern Mid Athletic Conference um, has been in the past, but you know, A&T will have its challenges going forward. Who's your favorite player in HBCU football history? This is a tough one because it kind of goes and, and reflects. You, you, for those that are not familiar with, with just HBCUs in general when it comes to football, you're dealing with a lot of Hall of Famers. Um, you know, you're, you're dealing with, you know, Elvin Bethea who came from North Carolina A&T. Um, you're talking about Walter Payton. You're talking about Lynn Barney. You're talking about several folks within that footprint, old school um, um, guys that have have been, you know, Hall of Famers. But my favorite HBCU player of all time is probably probably Steve McNair. And I think at, at its at the height of me being a, an observer and not analyst yet. Steve McNair being able to toss the ball all around the football field um, and then transition into the National Football League, definitely my favorite HBCU football player. And, and just because if you look at the numbers, they were just eye-popping and, and, and just, you know, you, you never saw anything like it in, in, in the world. I would compare it to maybe the, the, the Houston run and shoot back in the day with David Klingler and, and, um, and Andre Ware and, and, and those names up out there, but – Steve McNair was able to both throw the football and rush for, for several, you know, rush for yards too. So it wasn't a thing of him just being one dimensional. Uh, but, but at the time of me being an, an observer uh, versus analyst, definitely Steve McNair would be my favorite. What is your most memorable play in HBCU football history? You know what? And this is going to tie into, to a couple of things I think we're going to discuss, but um uh, Florida and m Florida a well in in what's crazy about it is it, as a student in North Carolina A&T Florida A&M was probably besides North Carolina Central uh, one of our arch rivals and so um being able to look at a quarterback uh Ultimus Sampson and watching a game between you know those two squads and seeing what what you know coach Billy Joe at the time um being able to bring what they call the Gulf Coast offense in into Aggie Stadium and them, you know, beat, which was which was a really formidable 
Bill Hayes squad um, who played defense, were able to run the ball. You know, they, they were, you know, just that old school football mentality. Um, they had a player of their own, Chris McNeil, who is a, a black college football Hall of Famer as well at defensive end. Um, I'm not sure how many. I think he had almost 20 sacks that year, if if not uh, more. But just seeing that defense go against that offense. Um, and Otima Sampson of, of Florida A&M showed me really the first offense of that kind to be able to to – to be able to do what they wanted to on that day. So that's kind of I, – I, I can't break it down to a play per se, but I would say just his play, um, being able to to both scramble and find receivers, I never saw that on a consistent basis with my own eyes. So I would, I would say that, that you know, that's kind of a synopsis of what that, that play or those set of plays were. Um, on that day. I get chills listening to this. That's great. What was the greatest game in HBCU football history? Wow. The greatest game I ever witnessed uh, because it's so hard to, to name um, because there's so many out there that has so, so much historical um, significance. Um, but I think, I think when you're talking about um, a great game that I witnessed was I'm going to go back to the same two teams, uh, and, and it's recent. Uh, and two, I think it was 99 or 2000, I think, before COVID hit. Um, Florida A&M versus, um, um, versus A&T again. I, I think this was in Florida, Florida though. Um, and I think what, what ended up happening was those teams were like – it was like a heavyweight boxing match. You know, it, it was one team scoring, really two contrasting styles, um, you know – uh, not a heavy passing game for North Carolina a but they were capable of being able to go and score. And then, of course, um, under the guide of Willie Simmons and, and this current uh, Florida a squad really ascending, Ryan Stanley, who who gets hurt in the game, and, and their current quarterback, you know, Rashawn McKay, comes in as a freshman and throws a last-minute touchdown pass to win the game. Um, that is one of the, the, the greater um, greatest games I've ever witnessed. Uh, and, and I wasn't there for the game, but um, but looking at it on TV, you just, you know, you, you could have had a heart attack <laughs> just looking and seeing what was going on um, within that game. So so definitely those two squads. I miss that. Um, uh, them not playing because, you know, both have moved on to different conferences. Uh, Florida and they're moving to the SWAC uh, and uh, Southwestern Athletic Conference and of course, North Carolina A&T moving on to, you know, Big South this year, CAA going forward. Uh, I missed that that matchup. But that is one of the greatest greater, um, greatest games I ever witnessed. What was the greatest season in HBCU football history? Great question. I, I think I would give it to a couple of different opponents. Um, the Steve McNair Alcorn State season, uh, his senior season, where they were able to to get into the FCS playoffs and make some noise um, was a great season. But the greatest season, I guess we, you would give it to, and it's, it's, it's going to be crazy when people hear this, but uh, Florida A&M winning the national champion, the FCS national champion, well, I think it was Division I AA at that time in 79, um, would be the greatest season because 
they won it all despite whether it was it was an HBCU or not. Um, beating Jackson State in the semifinal and then moving on to beat, I think, was UMass or or another squad. Either way, um, winning the national championship. So that would I would consider um, because they beat all comers at that time. Now you know it wasn't as many many games at that point as far as winning the national championship, but they were able to do it. So right now they are the lone HBCU that has won um, the, the FCS slash one double a national championship. Phenomenal response. Biggest upset. Biggest upset overall or biggest upset in, in HBCU football. My apologies. Good, good, good catch. Biggest upset in HBCU football. Thank you. Ooh. Um, I guess one that lately, and, and I guess they just had that number while A&T was in, um, um, the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference, Morgan State, who wasn't much of a, um, uh, of a, a squad as far as winning. And this is when, um, former Michigan running back Tyrone Wheatley was the head coach. Um, I think A&T was, was destined to, to, you know, go on to another celebration bowl and, and, you know, remain undefeated and, things of that nature. And what ended up happening was Morgan State, both, I mean, two years in a row, beat A&T uh, and, and stopped that undefeated season. So it was a thing where I guess it was upset because it was totally unexpected. Greatest team in HBCU history. Greatest team. Excellent question. I think there have been several. Um, if you think about, you know, that North Carolina A&T team um, that undefeated and was in the celebration bowl um led by Lamar Reynard at quarterback and um Rob Broadway and and several others you could you could count them in there that Steve McNair team again going back uh if you look at Florida A&M during their heyday could have been um and was remarkable uh I would say you know Southern and Grambling had has had Phenomenal teams throughout the year and uh, throughout really the years in, in, in Grambling with their pedigree and history um, ha- has had phenomenal teams under uh, Coach Eddie Robinson. So, you know, I, it, pinpointing one squad, um, that is a difficult question as far as um, as far as just what those teams meant. I would probably say, again, that Florida A&M squad, that Florida A&M squad who went on to win the championship would, would, would be it. Because if you look at the other side and who they beat, that Jackson State squad was also formidable. But when you take the title, hey, you, 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 you have every right to be called the greatest team. Phenomenal. Jamie, let's switch to college football history now. If you could have been doing the play-by-play for any one game in the history of college football, what game would you have chosen? Um, I would have chosen <laughs> – this is, this is going to seem crazy. Uh, I would have actually chosen the Ohio State-Miami game where Ohio State, um, due to the pass interference, had another play and actually sent it in overtime um, and was able to win. Uh, forgot what year that was. I don't know if it was early 2000s. Um, but that squad, uh, the Maurice Claret, um, Jim, Jim Trestle squad that ended up beating – that powerhouse Miami squad. So just them going back and forth because it seemed like Miami was going to run away with it early. 
But Ohio State, you know, fought their way back. So I would have loved to be loved doing play-by-play for, for high-octane um, offenses. So I think um, really I would have loved to do a Jackson State, Alcorn State game um, then. You know, when, when you're talking about Steve McNair and also um, – you know, Jackson State with with, you know, their high high caliber squads. I would have loved to do play by play for that as well. Who is your favorite player in college football history? Michael Vick. Mm. Michael Vick. Um, because <laughs> I, I would say, you know, as much as you're looking at really a, a year and a half reign, but the, him against Florida State in that title game. Uh, I think that was '99. <laughs> you're 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 talking about literally a one man show during that time, during that game, that particular game. Uh, it, it it was, you know, as much as that Florida State squad was was phenomenal on defense, they had no answer for him that time. So, or in, in during that game, so I I would say yeah, he he would probably be my favorite. Uh, I. I Give it a close second, probably war done um, at that that you know at that stage. So for for sure, Julius Peppers being a third because I'm from the state of North Carolina. So so definitely um, him as well. What is your most memorable play in college football history? Hmm, great question. Great question. I would say. Most memorable play would be um, Rocket Ishmael returning, um, returning a punt against. Oh wow! And the other team slips my mind. I want to say it was Michigan, but but maybe not. But Rocket Ishmael and and and, <laughs> and understanding you had no business kicking to him, <laughs> but the but the the overall. Just brilliance and 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 you know and elusiveness of what he was able to do um, in college football. It didn't transcend, you know, translate to the pros. But during that time and during his era and during that Lou Holtz, you know, Notre Dame squad, you know, he he would probably be, um, you know, the person that you would stay away from the most because they would do a lot with him, but. I think Notre Dame was down maybe three, and I think they they you know kicked off to him, and he returned the ball all the way back for a touchdown, and so it was one of those things where you had no business, <laughs> you had no business. It was almost like um you know in the pros kicking to um uh slips my mind um um kicking to Deshaun Jackson, um the Giants kicking to Deshaun Jackson and and. They told the punter not to, but they kicked it anyway, and he returns it for a touchdown. I think, you know, Rocket Ishmael had that same kind of prowess um, during his collegiate years. What was the greatest game in college football history? I'll tell you what, and and I know I'm speaking a lot of modern era football. Um, That Oklahoma-Georgia game uh, in the playoffs, and um, I think it was at the Rose Bowl, uh, was – one of the greatest games I have ever seen because it just kept going over and over. And it's like, whoever has the ball last is going to, um, 
is going to win this football game or whoever can make a stop. And so it was one of those things where, you know, you, you know, you got Baker Mayfield on one end and, you know, you know, you have, um, you know, Georgia with, with a formidable defense, but also Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle on offense as well. So, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about, you know, just the brashness of Oklahoma and them being stopped and then Georgia winning the game. So yeah, that, that would be, that would definitely be one of those, one of those, those games that was for the memory uh, for the, for definitely, you know, in the mental Rolodex, it was, it was, it was just that thing. You can just recall where you were when you saw that game. Really like the details in your answers. What was the greatest season in college football history? Greatest season. I'm going to go back to, um, to North Carolina A&T for a second. Uh, um, you know, when you're talking about, seasons and what just you know I, I want to say the the 99 season where they were able to just go through um the Mideast and athletic conference undefeated they beat East Carolina or or maybe even been Kent State uh was was able to beat you know FBS opponents high FCS level opponents and also run through um the the um HBCU season uh really unblemished and they were able to win, win the Celebration Bowl um, handily. And so it's one of those things where I think it was a great season in that it displayed what a, a HBCU squad can do playing everybody. Great answer. What was the biggest upset in college football history? Wow. Greatest upset. You know what? You're you're wow! I'm having to reach <laughs> reach real deep for the biggest upset. Um, I know in college football, I would say Appalachian State and Michigan, mm-hmm. um, because because of you know, like I said again, being close to um to to what North Carolina sports do, you know, does because I'm from the area. Um, you know, them going up to the big house and beating that team you know, really said a lot about what college football was about, you know, any given Sunday. And so um, I like, you know, their ability to be able to do so with that offense. They had some players. Uh, But but I guess on the HBCU ranks, I would say, you know, I would go to a recent game, uh, South Carolina State beating Jackson State. And the reason I I wouldn't call it because me being from the MEAC footprint, um, I understand exactly what a South Carolina state does. Uh, I was actually on a podcast uh, where we discussed that game because the hype coming in was Jackson state, you know, Deion Sanders, those, those players and those, um, you know, those, those, you know, coaches that have been around, have seen and done it all. But South Carolina state has limitations to what they're able to do from a recruiting standpoint, from a financial standpoint, but Coach Buddy Pugh and, and Willie Jeffries before him had taken that squad, has, has always been a hard-nosed, disciplined squad who really has just taken players. If you look at, you know, some of the, some of the better pros in, 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 you know, in the NFL, um, Darius Leonard, um, they've had, you know, players that have gone into the league and have done great things. So 
you know, with little resources and with with, you know, not much going on and not much fanfare, beat that Jackson State squad 31 to 10 um, and beat them handily. You know, if you looked at the beginning of that game, you know, Jackson State was 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 in it early. They were able to, you know, make a couple of plays here and there. And, you know, South Carolina State wasn't on their A game early. And looking at it and judging it from – because I was actually at the game in, um, you know, as an – well, not as an analyst, but I was actually covering it for the Black College Sports Network. And so, you know, looking at it, it was like, okay, Jackson State may run away with this thing, but give credit to Buddy Pugh. They made some adjustments, you know, at the half. And, again, you know, he coaches up those players, and they play hard. Um, they always have played hard for him. And so – you know, coming out of that ball game, South Carolina State definitely took it to Jackson State, and, and, and you know, in a lot of people's eyes, it was a it was a huge upset because of the hype, you know. But knowing what that squad is able to do and has been doing for you know years, you know, it, it was a large upset set, but it wasn't surprising. Great response. Greatest team in college football history. <sighs> wow. I'll give it on the HBC ranks that 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 national championship squad of, of Florida A&M uh, again, because they played and beat everybody and was able to to claim the national championship. It wasn't separate. It was just one of those things where, hey, you are the, you are the champion. Um, I would say greatest team ever, probably division one. Wow. You're you're mm, interesting question uh, because you're you can talk about those Oklahoma squads uh, because I love option football. <laughs> you can talk about those those Miami squads with, you know, Howard Schnellenberger and Jimmy Johnson and then, you know, Dennis Erickson. And I think that Larry Coker squad, the last national championship squad was probably their best just based on who was drafted and the talent they had on that squad. Um, you can look at Alabama, um, you know, within the six national championships that, you know, Nick Saban has won during that tenure. Um, you can look at, you know, so many, you know, that Nebraska squad with Tommy Frazier and, you know, at quarterback. I would probably say that's one of my favorites uh, because of, of, of what, you know, Tommy Frazier was actually able to do with the quarterback position. But I would say out of all of those, it would be that Larry Coker Miami squad. I would um, – and I think that was 2001. Um, yeah, that, that – I, I think that was the – you could, you know, pound for pound, I don't think you can – if you can stack that up, that squad up against anyone. Phenomenal response. Well, I want to thank you, Mr. Jamie Walker. You've been a phenomenal guest. You can follow Jamie Walker on Twitter at SportVoiceJW. That's at SportVoiceJW. Thank you for listening to History of College Football. I am Jay Abramson. Join us every Tuesday, Saturday for a new episode. 